friends, welcome back to another episode of the In No Hurry podcast. This is your host, Colt Douglas Claiborne. So happy to be back with you guys this week for another episode. Guys, we're coming up on the three-year anniversary of this show, and I'll get more into this in future episodes, and I do plan to have Ryan Allwart back on soon. He is the person who's playing the music that you're hearing currently as I'm talking, and he was my first guest, and I'd like to bring him back every year to celebrate this show, uh, turning another year older, and so we're working on scheduling Ryan, but this has just been so fun to do, and the last couple of years... It has not been nearly as regular as I would have liked. Uh, Life has happened. Life has gotten in the way. As you've heard me talk on here a number of times, uh, we've gone through a lot of things the past year or so, which when Emily, my wife, is back on for our anniversary in December, we will obviously talk quite a bit about that. So I would love for you to tune in and really just kind of hear what has gone on in our lives the past year and also what God has done in our lives through all of that. But I do have some really cool things planned for this show as we look ahead to 2023. So I hope you'll stick around. And if you do have any guest suggestions, feel free to reach out. I always put my contact information at the end of the episode. I'm pretty easy to find on social media. So I would love to hear any guest suggestions that you have or just ideas for the show. If you've got something that you think might be a cool concept, I'm always open. So I really am just so grateful uh, to have this platform and to have this podcast. podium, I guess if you want to call it that, to talk from and have people on and chat with. And it's just really cool to meet different people and share their stories. And this week, I'm especially excited to share this conversation we recorded about a couple months ago. This is Carolyn Moore. She is an author and pastor. And I just really enjoyed this conversation. Her book that just came out toward the end of September is called When Women Lead. Embrace your authority, move beyond barriers, and find joy in leading others. And I'll tell you right off the bat, this conversation is mostly for women, but it is not at all just for women. Men need to hear this conversation as well because Carolyn has such a heart and such wise insight on this topic of women leading in the church because it can kind of be a contentious topic in some evangelical circles. And so I really appreciate her heart behind this book and not just if women should lead, but also why and what barriers stand in the way of that happening. So I really appreciate her heart here. I really appreciate this conversation and I hope you will pick up her book. But first, check out this conversation with author and pastor Carolyn Moore. Well, I'm excited to be joined by Carolyn Moore this week, talking about her new book, When Women Lead. I think this is going to be an awesome conversation. Carolyn, thanks for joining the show. How are you? I'm doing great. And I really appreciate the chance to be with you. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah, really looking forward to talking about this book uh, that was released in September. And it's all about uh, equipping uh, equipping women to lead and also talking about the barriers uh, that, that maybe prevent women from leading in the church. And, and I'm excited just to talk about the idea of leadership too, because I think it's such a such an important topic. There's people that are listening to this that maybe have it on their heart to be leaders. Uh, we, yeah. we can get into that, but I always love to ask authors when I have them on the show, uh, when, when they have a book come out, you know, as a writer myself, as somebody hoping to, to put a book out one day, I love to ask authors really just what, where did the heart for this book come from? Where did the idea come from? And how did you know that this was the right book for you to write right now? Well, it, it actually wasn't the book I wrote right now. It was the book I wrote, started writing, I mean, years ago. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and it just happens to finally be getting out right now. That's how it goes sometimes, though. Yeah. I know. <laughs> um, I've been a, a pastor um, for 24 years. For the last 19 years, I've been in the in the work of developing a new church. And um, while I was... I've enjoyed the work. I've been deeply fulfilled by the community in which I get to serve. There was always something in me that was wondering, sort of like, why is it that I can't quite do what my male colleagues are doing? And um, and I, I mean, I work hard. I'm not the brightest bulb in the leadership box, but I'm also, you know, I, I I'm I can hold my own, and yet I still could not seem to figure out what the difference was. Why I could do the same things they were doing 
but I couldn't get the same results they were getting. And and um, and, I, and my colleagues were, you know, I have great uh, male colleague friends. All, many of them have planted churches, and I would ask them, "So, what's the difference? I mean, what is it I'm missing?" And they would always say, "Oh, no, it's not you. It's not you. It's you're great. Everything's great. You're doing a great job." But that you would think that would just be great encouragement, but it was sort of crazy making because, um, you know, when when they when you can't figure out what it is that's that's blocking you, it's kind of just like, well, all right, so is it me? I mean, what is it? What is this problem? And so, so I just became more and more interested about the idea of of the barriers that women face, the, the natural, I call them natural. They're just like, they, they're present for every single woman. Yeah. The barriers that women face when they're leading. And then what does it take to lead past those barriers so that women can lead successfully? I really wanted to name those barriers because I felt like, um, you know, I just, I felt like that, that if by naming them, maybe we could, you know, maybe we could all acknowledge what is actually true. And then, um, and then began to talk more realistically, more honestly about, you know, how to get through, how to, how to get past those barriers. So as it turns out, I kind of started calling across the country and trying to find other women like me who had planted. The book isn't specifically for church planners, but that's where I started. Yeah. And, um, and I found a, a woman named Mary Kate Morse. She's a professor at Fuller Seminary and, and she, um, she, she and I sat down one day and just started to talk about her experience. She had planted a couple of churches and what her experience was. And um, in the process of, the, of that conversation, I, I asked her, so what is it? I mean, what are the challenges that women face? I'm just, I want to know what it is that's different for women and men when they, when they lead. And she said, that sounds like the, the a great question for a dissertation. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Well, you misunderstood me. I just want you to answer my question. I don't want to have to go back to school. Um, but as it turns out, I ended up going back to school. I wrote the dissertation on that question. And then after I wrote the dissertation, I was just very aware that this was, if I didn't write the book, then some really good information would sit on some seminary shelf for only other doctoral students to read when they're just trying to figure out how to write their dissertations. Yeah. So I finished my dissertation uh, now almost four years ago. And, um, and, and that since time since then have been slowly writing the book and, and I'm thrilled that it's finally going to see the light of day. <laughs> That's a really cool story. I, I like hearing that process uh, where it just started as a question that you had yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And that seems like how the, the, the best books that I read, it seems like for the most part, that's where they come from is it's a question that the author has wrestled with themselves and in their process for finding their own answer, they realize that there's a lot more to say about it. When did you know that this was going to become a book? Obviously you were writing the dissertation, I guess, was it during that process or what, what was that moment like when it clicked that, Hey, this needs to be a book? Oh man, a dissertation is hard. It takes a lot of time and I it's, had, it's basically a book I, from what I can is, tell. It's a very boring book. That's why <laughs> it's a very boring book because there's a ton of statistics in it and a ton of research. And, um, and, and, and the, my coach, my dissertation coach was the one who said, this is going to be a book and, and it, it needs to be, the world needs this information. The, the church really hasn't wrestled with this in the way that you're wrestling with this. And, and I would just listen to him and laugh and say, I don't think so. Um, but when I finished the dissertation, it, actually, you know, on, on the, the week I graduated, I thought to myself, you're going to have to sit down and figure out if you can do this. Um, because it really was, a, it, for me, the work was so healing and so revelatory and so good. And I found myself with a kind of authority that I didn't have before. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, why would I not want that for someone else? And if, if I've done the work, why wouldn't I want to give that gift to someone else who, and, and to the next generation of women um, who are ready to step up and lead? Yeah, that's great. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to get into talking more specifically about the barriers as it relates to, to the leadership part of it. But I wonder if when you're writing this book, particularly about this topic, uh, you know, I hear writers talk all the time about 
resistance that they feel when they're writing a book. I just wonder, was there any, were there any pieces of resistance or any even maybe symbolic barriers that you experienced in the writing of this book that maybe felt parallel to the topic you were writing about itself? Oh, that is such a great question. I just love that question. I I tell you, (laughs) every chapter, I felt like I was going to church every chapter because I am the person I am writing for. Yeah. And because I, as a female leader, was starving to know these answers, even though I'd done the work with the dissertation, you know, when you write a book, you have to go a whole lot deeper and dig a lot more. And every chapter, I would just feel like, okay, this is, this is a whole new way of looking at this that I hadn't seen before. And, and and, and I did a great deal of research. It's not just personal reflection. There's 275 end notes on the, in this book. So there's just a lot of research to it. A lot of research. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, but, but, but it was worth it for me personally. Yeah. So I, I, I think that just the, I'm a church, I still am a pastor. I'm a full-time pastor. I travel, I have other things going in my life. And um, so it, finding the time was the real issue for me, yeah. but every chapter came to me like going to church. And there was a night sitting here right in this very chair that I'm sitting here talking to you at nowhere. It's like midnight one night and I was doing this research and, and I found the statistic that says that when what you know to be true is not recognized as such by other people, you feel crazy. Mm-hmm. And that was the night I just remember putting my hands in the air and going, yes, yes, that's it. That's why it doesn't feel like encouragement when people say it's not because you're a woman, that's not the problem. When in fact, this is not a, a, a wine session. This is just a truth. There are differences between the way men lead and the way women lead and the way people perceive female leadership. And when we acknowledge that, not as victims, not as angry people, but simply as a matter of fact, we do ourselves or the people we're trying to coach so much grace. We do them so much grace when we admit what is actually true. Yeah, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm really excited to get deeper into some of these, these topics. I guess when you first start, when somebody maybe feels like they have it put on their heart to lead, and that could be lead a, lead a church. It could be, you know, maybe just in their job place, they feel a, a calling to be a leader. Cause I think some people are naturally called to do that. Some people don't feel called to do that. They feel like they're much better off kind of being a team player and riding in the back, others feel called to lead. In your estimation, how can people, and I guess as it pertains to this conversation, particularly women and even women in the church, how can they discern that that is what God has put on their heart? Because I think I've experienced where I've had fleeting desires that I wondered if they were coming from God. And then a very short time after that, I, I lose that desire. And you, you want to you be able to discern that this is the calling that I'm being called to do. In your estimation, you know, how can how can people discern that leadership is what they're being called to? There's so many things I want to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you just hit on something that's so wise and and thoughtful, and that is um, the the minute I have an idea, that doesn't necessarily we don't mm-hmm. I don't necessarily need to assign that to God just because I had this idea five minutes ago, and right. it feels like something I haven't thought of myself, you know. So there's, I think, I think wise discernment takes time. It takes a season. And, um, and, and, and I, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, I, I don't believe that anybody is called in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're called in community. And so, um, especially if you're talking about some uh, leadership as a vocation, more than just, you know, I got, I got, I got given the job of managing at Hardee's, you know, that's, that, that actually could be a vocational kind of thing, but it's a difference between getting a job and being called into a vocation that may include uh, putting you in the lead role. And where that's the case, that needs to be done in community. And so that, that, that community might be your pastor, it might be uh, your small group, um, it may be friends who know you well, it certainly should include your family if you're married or or have parents in your life. Um, the, um, people who know you well, who can call out those gifts in you. Um, 
and 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 the 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 best discerners around us are people not who, not people who tell us yeah you can do it go after it you know if you put your mind to it you can do anything you want not that but people who ask good questions yeah so go looking for the wise counsel of good question askers <laughs> yeah I think that that is really good advice because I think there's a lot of people that once they have a good idea, they really don't want advice. They just want people to confirm their own inclination right. and then right. they misinterpret that as support when it may not really be the best advice because it may not be what's best for somebody. And exactly. uh, I mean, leadership is a, is a big deal because if you're, I mean, that's not only a call that you are taking upon yourself, but now you are putting yourself responsible for other people and their life. And if it's in a church, you're putting yourself in a, in a role that's responsible for their walk with God, which is arguably as Christians, we would say it was probably one of the most important, if not the most important things that we will do. So right. it's a right. huge calling. Yeah. And, and let me just say this where, when it comes, I would, I, I think there's a sort of a generic word here, but also a, a female specific word that I would add. And, and that is, um, to, the, the, we, it takes such discernment to know who is kind of either calling us into leadership or encouraging us into leadership. It takes such discernment to, to sort of filter through their own needs. Mm -hmm. Because, for instance, if a church has a, you know, needs a worship leader yesterday, <laughs> Then, then you, friend, are the. We've been praying about this, and you're the worship leader we need. Never mind the fact that you've got a porn issue and really don't need to be doing anything right now. Yeah. Um, and and but but folks around you may overlook your your weaknesses or your um just your just your you're not quite ready for leadership. You know, not quite ready for prime time to in order to fill their own needs. That's the generic word, but the the female specific word is this and. And I'm speaking from a lot of experience here. Um, in, in my world, as a conservative Methodist pastor, there just aren't that many of us. There, there just aren't that many. So um, when people need a woman so they can say, look, we have one, I get tapped a lot. And the, the feeling of being tapped is, is flattering. But, um, but I can wear myself out. Yeah. I could put myself in a position I'm really not um, qualified for. Um, or, or worse yet, I could put myself in a position and then let it become um, an ego stroke that, that really puts me in a bad place spiritually. Yeah. So, so discernment really needs to go both ways, both in those who are helping us to discern and us discerning those who are helping us discern. Yeah. So that we can get past there, um, so that we can all get to the heart of Jesus. Yeah. And, and that requires a ton of humility. Man, that's I have I haven't really heard it put that way, but that is that is really wise. That that when you're asking others to discern, it's also incumbent on us to discern our own situation. Like you said, you don't want to feel like you're just being uh, kind of thrown a bone because you're a, a you're a, a woman pastor, you know, you don't want to feel like I'm just being used because they need to check a box. You want to be able to, uh, to make sure that that's legitimate. I mean, I'm a big sports fan and, and every year at the end of the NFL season, there's always a bunch of coaches that get fired and there's a rule in place that NFL teams have to interview at least one minority candidate when they interview for a head coach. And I just wonder how many minority coaches walk into the interview knowing I'm only here so that they can check the box because there's hardly any minority coaches that get hired, not just every year, but in the last five years, 10 years. And right. so I, I can imagine how that same kind of uh, dynamic would, would play into what you're doing as well. And mm -hmm. I would imagine, um, you know, I think most people that are familiar with this dilemma are familiar with the terms complementarianism and egalitarianism. Mm -hmm. uh, those that maybe are listening that aren't as familiar. Could you maybe provide an, an explanation as to what that means and how this plays into what we're talking about? Because I, I would imagine we get into some of the barriers. Uh, it probably comes down to churches or organizations feeling on one side of the fence in that debate. Yeah, absolutely. The first barrier in my book is the theological barrier. Until we really have wrestled with this one, none of the rest of the matter if we're talking <laughs> about, especially if we're talking about ministry leadership, mm -hmm. uh, ministry leadership beyond women's ministry or children's ministry. So 
um, the, 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 the fact is, I mean, statistically, about half the world does not believe that women should lead in ministry. Um, I wouldn't say that half the world is complementarian exactly, but but a great part of that 50%, it's really 50% plus some, um, but a great part of that 50% is Roman Catholic. They don't believe in, in uh, that women can be priests. Um, and, and then add to that uh, the whole reform side of the world, Presbyterians and Southern Baptists and um, and, and independents who, who um, are on the reform side, who, who their take on Genesis 2 is that while men and women were both created by God, women were created in a, in a helper role. And so they placed the hierarchy really at Genesis 2, mm-hmm. where I placed the hierarchy at Genesis 3. I would say that men and women in Genesis 1 and 2 were created as partners, and Genesis 3 turned a partnership into a hierarchy. But a complementarian would say that that men have certain roles and gifts and that given to them, you know, bequeathed upon them by God himself, and women have certain roles and gifts as well. And so it's very much a a role-driven understanding of gender, with with women having the primary role of women is childbearing and and homekeeping. So that would be a complementarian view. An egalitarian view is basically what I've just described, that it's a Genesis 1 and 2 understanding of men and women, that we were created as partners to steward the the earth together, and that that the only hierarchy in Genesis 1 and 2 was humans over creation, um, humans over animals, not male over female. But Genesis 3 turned that on its head, because when it says so in the scripture that that um, men and women would find themselves at enmity with each other. And so every human being on the planet, whether you believe in Jesus or the Bible or any of that or not, every human being on the planet now lives on the fallen side of, of, of creation, which means that every one of us have inside our heads this subconscious question about what leadership looks like. And maybe even a subconscious pressure against recognizing women as leaders. Complementarians would say that that pressure against that we feel inside is proof that women should not lead. Egalitarians say that that pressure that we that that internal subconscious pressure against female leadership is an effect of the fall, and um, and that and that it's kind of incumbent upon us to kind of push past that pressure so that we can, so that rather than our, our leadership decisions being role-based, they're gifts-based. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's beautifully put. And to kind of transition into to maybe another topic here that goes along with this, you, you talk about uh, the woman's right to leadership uh, and, and I, without giving away too much of the book, cause we want the listeners to, to buy the book and read it as well. But, um, as you're alluding to there, I mean, you, you're obviously a proponent of women being able to lead in the church and you talk about a woman's right to leadership and there's men that maybe listen to this, maybe women that lead that listen to this, that feel otherwise, um, what would be your argument to them? As to, I mean, obviously like it's going to be in your book and I'm sure people can surmise from this conversation, but uh, can you explain what, what you mean by, you know, a woman having a right to leadership and, and how that plays into this egalitarian versus complementarian debate? I want to, I want to make uh, this part kind of clear because that's a really interesting question and an interesting way to kind of approach that, that thought that, um, that, and, and my, Kind of my way of thinking, I, my maybe the more appropriate way to say that for me is that um, those who are gifted and called by yeah. God have a right to access what the door that God has opened for them. Yeah. Those who are gifted and called have a right to access the door that's been opened for them. And, and other people do not have a right, although they can take the opportunity they don't have a right 
to keep that door closed or to block it. It's been, I mean, the, the scripture tells us any door God's opened can't be shut. So it's not even as if they shut the door, they just stand in front of it and kind of hold people out. Yeah. But if God, if God has called someone and anointed someone for leadership, then, then who are we really to stand in the way of seeing them step forward? And, 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 you know, so often in our attempt to control things, we don't have a right to control. <laughs> yeah. We, we, um, we get, we get ahead of God. I'm so much more appreciative of the guy in Acts who said, look, 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 if these people are of God, you will never be able to stop them. And if they're not of God, it will disappear in the next generation. And so even when it comes down to the individual level, it, 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 it seems so much more, um, life-giving to me and so much more stress-reducing to me to, to give people the opportunity to bear fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the point, the whole point of my advocacy for seeing women in ministry is it's not a gender thing for me. It's not a rights thing for me. It's a kingdom thing. Yeah. I, I want to see all the, all of those who have been gifted and anointed for ministry, unleashed for the work of ministry so that the welcome and advance of the kingdom can move forward. That's it. I, I mean, far as I'm concerned, everybody who should be out there um, doing kingdom work should be doing kingdom work because the sooner we're all doing kingdom work, the sooner we get to go home. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a really poignant way to put that. I, I love how you phrased that. Um, you know, again, we don't want to give away the whole book, but we did allude to some of the barriers that, that you're talking about here. And you mentioned the theological barrier. Um, but I, I kind of want to open the floor to, to let you talk about, you know, any, any other barriers that, that you want to discuss here and uh, kind of summarize in so many ways, you know, uh, without, without reading your whole book here, because again, yeah, we want to want people to go buy it. But um what are, what are some other barriers that, that we need to be aware of, especially for maybe those listeners that are not necessarily on purpose, but maybe are ignorant to this issue that, you know, you maybe are going to church and not realizing that this is going on. Um, I'll kind of open the floor to you to kind of explain what some of these barriers are. The most fascinating one for me to study was the perception barrier. I really loved digging deeply into what it's like, how our brains work and how we perceive leadership. This isn't necessarily a Christian idea. In fact, much of the research that I did was beyond Christian scholarship because what's happened in general is that when egalitarian traditions have, when when egalitarian traditions have kind of approved of women theologically, have made the case theologically. We figure we've done our work, but we've really only done half the work because remember, we still live in a fallen world. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, the way men and women both perceive female leadership is a challenge, whether you're Christian or not. So a lot of that work uh, and that research I found in the world of psychology, in the world of education, in the world of business. And it was just fascinating to read about how uh, men and women both perceive female leadership. We have an issue, first of all, with what a leader looks like. We kind of look at this person in front of us. And if this person is in a female, is in female skin, we just, something inside us will ask, is that what a leader is supposed to look like? And often, something inside of us responds, I don't think so. And so there is an, 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 a sort of a natural skepticism just out, just from, you know, from, the, from the very get-go. And then um, we have issues with women who lead. It, we tend, if a woman is more assertive in her leadership style, we tend to like her less. So she's less likable. If she's more passive in her leadership style, we tend to respect her less. So they call that the, the, the double bind, the perception double bind. And, um, and women in, in, in the business world find this to be a real barrier to moving ahead and, and, to, and to really being able to, to build a collaborative team around them because everybody's got an opinion about her leadership style. And it's a more marked opinion than, than they might have uh, when they're looking at a male 
Um, so I, I, I delve into a fascinating study that a Harvard business um, professor did uh, on a woman named Heidi Roizen. And you'll have to read about it. It's just yeah. fascinating. But um, all they did was they just changed the name on this woman's resume. And then they asked men and women both to, to read her story, look at her resume and decide, you know, what they, um, what they, what they thought of her. So half, half of a class got the, the, her resume and story with her name on it. The other half of the class got the resume and story with a man's name on it. Wow. And overwhelmingly, um, the, the half of the class who read the story of the man or what they thought was a man were they, they chose him hands down as the, as the person they wanted to have as their leader, even though it was the exact same person, the exact same story, the exact same resume. So there's a perception barrier. And this kind of doubles back on us. When people around us as women leaders, um, when they question our leadership or when they're skeptical of our leadership, when they are not immediately embracing our leadership, if you do that for long enough, it starts to wear on you as a woman yeah. leader. So we find ourselves beginning to question our own capacities. We find ourselves kind of uh, really doubting ourselves. Our self-esteem suffers. The next thing you know, um, I'm, I'm apologizing my way into a room. I'm, um, I'm questioning my place at a table, even if I've been invited to that table. Yeah. And so perception kind of goes both ways. It's how people see us, but then how we also see ourselves. That was a fascinating barrier for me to study. And then um, among the others, I talk about resources and benchmarks just because in, in ministry leadership, there's so few, my, my, uh, so many fewer women. They're just not the resources um, to follow them. And so there's a resource barrier. We have to be a lot more creative, not only in getting the coaches and mentors that we need, but also getting the funding that we need. There's a very, very interesting study on the pastoral care barrier. I draw on an article that Carrie Newoff uh, wrote, and I won't go completely into that, but it's just fascinating to talk about how um, women's more nurturing or collaborative styles of leadership can, in some cases, work against them. And then, of course, the biological barrier. My, my subtitle for that, for that chapter is The Very Real Thing Nobody Likes to Talk About. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but I'm a middle-aged woman. I can talk about it if I want to. <laughs> so, yeah. I, so I talk about not only you know, the, the, the marked seasons of life for women, um, the childbearing years, but also menopause and how those things work for us and against us, for us in life, but maybe against us as we're trying to, to build a, uh, a vocation or a career and just how to navigate those. I talk a little bit about how to navigate those seasons of life. And I want to say for every one of these barriers, um, it's, it's it's not as if men do not have challenges or as if men's challenges are somehow a walk in the park compared. I don't want to say that at all. I think mm -hmm. men have very real challenges on their way to leadership and their challenges that, that in the same way that I think women need to be eyes wide open, understanding about theirs, men also need to spend time being eyes wide open, understanding about their barriers. What I am saying is that the barriers are different. Yeah. And that to the extent that we um, deny that, we actually do harm to ourselves. Ed Stetzer and Warren Bird did a study of church planters across the United States um, several years ago. It was a seminal study, and, um, and it wasn't denominationally rooted. It was just church planters, male, female, just actually it was all male church planters. Um, and, and they came to this conclusion that when a church planter understands the challenges that they face, they are 400%, 400 times more likely to succeed. It has nothing to do with finding the answers to those barriers, just knowing what you're up against, knowing how tall the mountain is before you start climbing it, makes you more likely to pace yourself and be able to get to the top. You, you're just approaching the thing from a much more realistic place. Yeah. I compared that statistic with a small business administration's statistics on, um, on 
you know, kind of uh, survivability of small business owners. And it, they came to the exact same conclusion that when you know you're, when you are realistic about the challenges you face and, and the, the roadblocks in front of you, you are exponentially more likely to succeed. And so while only half of my book is about the barriers, the other half is about the strategies. Yeah. Um, the barrier half is an important half because it's when we know what we're up against that we begin to um, become more humble and sober and, uh, <laughs> and also uh, disciplined in our approach to leadership. Wow. I find your perspective on that really refreshing. And I'm still struck by that Harvard. I think you said it was a Harvard that did the study. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can imagine if I was a woman and I heard the results of that study, how I would react. And I guess to frame my next question in, in that way, it, I, I, like I said, I find your perspective to be really refreshing because you talked about how like, you know, it's, it's important to realize that men also do have barriers that they're facing. But what I notice culturally, societally, when people want to engage in debates, not necessarily about this topic, but really any topic, I think that we have become in such a way that we only see our stance. We only see our side of it. So when we make that argument or that debate, we do it very loudly in favor of our side, but without any regard for what other parts of the perspective are like, I remember whenever I would teach my students argumentative writing, I would spend a lot of time when I was a teacher, I I would teach my students this. I would spend a lot of time talking about the need to acknowledge that there is another side or other sides to the argument, because it's not just Mm -hmm. your one side. So I guess I I say all that to frame this question this way is uh, for people that, that maybe do feel passionate about uh, advocating for women leadership are there methods that you have seen people take that have not been successful or that you would advise people to avoid because maybe they just are not, it's, I guess another way to say that is there are probably people that are probably loud in a, in a, in a negative way about this topic. So in, in short, how would you advise people to positively advocate for women leadership, but also what things would you suggest that they avoid? What methods should they avoid? that sort of a thing. One of the things that strikes me as being so useful about this conversation is that we're, we're approaching this in a, in a pretty mature way mm-hmm. with an understanding that it takes all of us to make a leader. And so when we're talking about um, female leadership, um, and it may be that this, that a female who is being raised up in the leadership is being raised up in the leadership in a church with a male pastor, that requires a great deal of maturity on behalf of the male pastor. He needs to tend to his own wounds and also his own soul so that he can be in a place that's healthy enough to to mentor and coach um, a a woman in his charge um, into into leadership. Um, We've we've done a poor job in the church of of, of, of really calling men and women both to spiritual maturity and emotional maturity so that they can work together in partnership. What we've done instead is we've tried to separate everybody out and keep them from each other because we're afraid of what they might do to each other. What I would say instead is, nope, everybody needs, you get the, you need to get the healing that you need so that you can be in the room with another human being um, without sexualizing the moment. Yeah. And, um, and, and when we can do that, then, then women who are being raised into leadership can get the appropriate coaching or training or, 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 or have, the, have the door opener that they need um, without feeling like somehow there is a tension beneath the surface that's just not healthy. Yeah. So I'm not even sure if that exactly answers your question, but that's the I first thing that comes to my mind yeah. when I think about things we need to both advocate for and avoid. And that is um, rather than rather than letting the high anxiety of this culture, which has over-sexualized everything, yeah. determine how we relate inside the church, let's instead focus on and emphasize healing for every person so that, you know, it's what it's what 
Paul said, renew your mind and grow up in every way into Christ who is our head. Um, we need, to, we need to, to go after our own healing so that we can be as effective as possible in, in raising up the next generation of leaders. Yeah, I, I just, like I said, I found your perspective to be so refreshing because um, though you've been negatively affected in, in, in this way, you, you are able to have a mature perspective that you don't, you're not yelling, you're not angry. And I feel like in our culture, that's what happens a lot of times when, when things don't go our way, we're, we often get very vocal, very loud, very angry about our stance. Yeah. And I just think that sometimes like it, it gets to be so polarizing that we don't hear each other because it's just yelling from one side and yelling from the other. And exactly. there's not, there's not a lot of actual conversation that's happening. So uh, to kind of uh, land the plane here, I'm hoping that there are some women that, that are listening to this, um, that this is kind of a double-edged sword to say it. I, I hope there's no women that, that are put in these positions where they can't lead, but I, I do hope that there are some women that maybe have been in this position that are listening to this, that can find some encouragement for what you've had to say. And so if there are some of those women that maybe they felt that call to leadership at their church or, or somewhere else, but I guess specifically in the context of this conversation, their church, mm-hmm. and they've not been given that chance what would be your encouragement to them? Because I would imagine that it's, you know, you, you hear results like that Harvard study and it gets to be very discouraging and, and very upsetting um, mm-hmm. for, for a woman who's listening to this, that wants to lead, they, they have the skills, they believe that God has equipped them, but they've not been given that opportunity. What would be your encouragement to them? When I was um, uh, several years ago, when I was, I was, I took a spin class with this guy um, 5.30 every morning and, um, and, and he would, we would go in there and, you know, we're all tired. It's 5.30 in the morning and we're doing, we're starting to exercise. And, and um, the thing with spin is it's the lights are low. The music is loud. <laughs> and um, when he says you need to um, uh, turn, you know, go to gear, gear three or gear seven or whatever he says, there's not, it's not actually a gear. It's just a lever that you, kind of push up and down to increase the tension and nobody knows what you've really actually done. He tells you what to do, but nobody really knows what you've actually done. Yeah. And so it'd be pretty easy to just sort of leave it down there at a at gear number one or two and pretend like you're pushing hard. And uh, one day he said to our class, um, we were 30 minutes into the class or so. And he, he said, you know what? You got up at five o'clock this morning, you got yourself ready. You drove over here <laughs> and, and you paid for this opportunity. Why would you shortchange yourself? Yeah. And, and then he said, this is your ride. And that's what I would say to any woman who may have felt pressure against. I would say, friend, it is your ride. You get to decide how you will live out the call of God on your life. Mm-hmm. And the whole second half of my book is about the things that you need in your toolbox in order to, to, in order to kill your ride. Yeah. <laughs> even if your gear is up at an eight or a nine, even if you're in a high pressure zone, if, if, if you know who you are in Christ, if you understand how to walk in authority, the authority that God has given you, if you understand what your weak spots are, you know, do, maybe you need help learning how to budget for, a, for an organization the size you're leading, or maybe you need help negotiating your salary so that you can stay where you want to work, or maybe you need help um, in fundraising and, and, uh, or, and you know a guy who, um, who has access to funds that could benefit your ministry, you need help learning how to ask for door openers to, to participate with you in getting where you need to go. All of those things are very accessible to any one of us who are gifted and called, but it's our ride. And so um, sitting on the sidelines and, 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 um, and feeling like a victim will not get us where we need to go. And so while we lament that we live in a fallen world, and while we lament that there are people around us who are spiritually immature and may not be able to, um, to adequately affirm us because of their own issues. While we can lament those things, ultimately, when I stand before Jesus, I need to be able to say 
that I did what I could with the gifts I was given. And so uh, to the women in the, in, in the room, I would say it's your ride. So uh, God gave you a gift. You're dying to use it. You're, you're, you're full of passion and wisdom. Uh, get the skills you need, the healing you need, and take the authority you need so you can live it out. I really enjoyed this and I hope listeners uh, will get the book and, and dive into it. And I love that you said that I mean, this book is not just for women, but it's, it's also for church leaders. It's for a lot of people. It's not just for women that have been affected by this, but it's for others, I think, to gain the perspective that hopefully they've also gained from this conversation. And I really appreciated uh, the, the, the various perspectives you've had on these different things and um, really, really excited for this book and for people to get it. And you've got a podcast. It's called the art of holiness podcast. Can you, can you tell the listeners uh, about that? I assume it's, you can find that wherever you get podcasts, but uh, That's right. what, what was the idea for that podcast? Uh, where did that come from? And, and what could listeners expect if they tune into that? I appreciate so much the chance to share. Um, the art of holiness was actually my blog site for years before I ever started a podcast. My son-in-law one day told me I needed to start a podcast and I said, I'm only going to do it if you do it with me. And he said, all right. So my son-in-law Pierce Drake and I uh, share that podcast together and we kind of brought our own unique passions to the table and then we have one shared passion. So we talk about um, uh, his passion is intergenerational encouragement, really seeing um, generations uh, mentoring other the next generation. And so we talk to folks about that and we talk to folks about supernatural ministry, which is a personal passion of mine. And then we also talk about just discipleship systems and um, what it what it looks like to, to walk in holiness as an art form, not as a not as a list of rules. Um, don't drink, don't chew, and don't dance with the girls who do. <laughs> That's not <laughs> holiness. Yeah. <laughs> holiness is an art form and it's a beautiful, beautiful expression of life that God has given us. And so we talk about that. Um, and, uh, yep, you can find it anywhere. We've got about, I don't know, uh, we've got lots of podcasts on there, all kinds of great voices. And, um, we will have a whole new season on, I think it kicks off this Tuesday. Uh, this, uh, so anyway, by the time you hear this, we will be in the middle of a whole new season. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. We were talking before we recorded about the name for this podcast. And and one of the, the last questions I always love to ask my guests is, you know, the name of the show is in no hurry. And, um, we were just, we were discussing before the show, uh, kind of where I got the name for that, but I always love to ask my guests, you know, life just for all of us does get pretty busy. Sometimes it gets hectic. What are some of your go-to rhythms to slow down? And, uh, you know, as Christians, we call it a Sabbath, but just for you to slow down, peel back and, and just kind of eliminate the hurry from your life. What are some things that you go to, to do that? I love the title of your of your podcast and just that that uh, sweet encouragement uh, to slow down and and um, so for me I, and I also love your use of the word rhythm. I in the book actually I talk about uh, the fact that I, I think balance is a lie. Mm-hmm. I just don't think you can have equally balanced pieces of your life, but I do think you can find holy rhythms that allow you yeah. seasons of rest and seasons of of activity and. Um, one of my favorite things to do is to take my bike out to the river and just ride. We have a river, uh, kind of a, it's a long, long trail right next to a river. And uh, it can take me all the way from my suburban um, community to downtown Augusta. And I just, I love that ride. It's one of my favorite things to do. I've got a three mile trail near my house and I love to hike that. Um, and then, um, and then one of my sweet favorite things to do is to get on the, uh, FaceTime with my granddaughter, who's three years old and oh, just awesome. play finger puppets with her on, <laughs> on FaceTime and, oh, watch her eat ice cream and talk about whatever it is she's talking about. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. It's always interesting to hear what people's answers are and uh, you, people have all kinds of different hobbies and things that they do. So uh, it's always, it's always great to hear that if people want to connect with you, uh, you mentioned, uh, your, your website and, uh, uh, if you have social media, things like that newsletter, where can people connect with you? 
On Instagram, I am Preach It More, and that more is M O O R E, so Preach It More. On Twitter, I'm Carolyn Seymour, and you can find me on Facebook as well. And then you can find my, my website is artofholiness.com. Perfect. Carolyn, thanks so much for joining me. And again, uh, really excited for this book to get into people's hands. I hope they'll pick it up. And I assume they can get that anywhere, anywhere books are sold and things like yep. that. Yep. Perfect. Amazon, Seedbed, uh, Barnes and Noble, all the places. <laughs> awesome. So definitely go buy the book and give Carolyn a follow on social media. Uh, but really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much for joining me. So grateful. Thank you. Oh, I hope you were taking notes during that conversation because Carolyn said so many things that the whole time we were talking, I just kept nodding my head and I just really enjoyed talking to her and really enjoyed her perspective on this. The part about discernment and not just discerning what God is telling us, but also discerning what those around us are telling us and maybe what their motives are, I think is such wise advice. I think that's an aspect of that that we sometimes, at least I sometimes forget to even account for when trying to discern what the will of God is on my life and forget that there are other people that maybe telling the same thing or maybe they have different motives and it's just it's so important to use discernment and just be in touch with what we feel like God is calling us to do. So Carolyn's book When Women Lead can be found anywhere that you get books. I will put the link in the show notes as well to her website and be sure to check her out on social media, check out her podcast and her other work as well. And if we're not connected on social media, I would love to change that. You can find me anywhere on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all of that at Cole Claiborne on most platforms. And I would especially love for you to subscribe to my Substack newsletter. Um, I'm going to be posting a lot of stuff on there and trying to move kind of almost not totally exclusively to that platform, but I'll be there a lot. It's it's a really cool platform. You heard me talk about it last week. And there's just a lot of new engaging features that allow content creators to uh, communicate and engage with their subscribers. And if you're interested in blogging or writing, I would definitely recommend checking out Substack. It's free. It's super easy to use. They have a pretty slick app that you can use now. And it's just a good way to connect with the writers and also an easy way to build an audience. So definitely check me out over there. You can find a link to that in the show notes as well. But as always, I hope you guys have a great week. Hope you find some time to relax and not be in a hurry. And we'll catch you next time.